particularly through the book of Galatians. Not only are we saved by faith, we are justified by faith, but we also live our Christian life by faith. And so this book of Galatians unpacks what it means to lead a gospel-centered life. In October, uh, this is the series, then in November we'll continue essentially to unpack what is the gospel. And today we see that the gospel is God's revelation. It is not something we made up. It is not for us, free for all, to choose what we believe or not. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we commit this time to you. We pray that you'll move mightily in our midst, that we will see Jesus lifted up, and Father, you'll be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was the sermon, known as the sermon that changed Oprah Winfrey's life. In fact, the same sermon in 2018, uh, it was one of the most popular sermons on YouTube. The title of the sermon is The Power of I Am. Now, it's not referring to the I Am statements made by Jesus in the gospel. Instead, it is saying that every day when we say I Am, whatever follows is very powerful because we give it permission to become a reality in our lives. So every day when we say I'm clumsy, clumsiness will seek us out. I'm overweight, calories will seek us out. Okay, so maybe I say too much, I'm overweight, right? But what we should do is to look in the mirror and say, I'm healthy, I'm great, and God would renew our health. He even gave an example. He says, when God fulfilled His promises to Abraham to give him a promised son, it was because Sarah elevated her self-esteem and believed, I am a child of God. <clears throat> now, this sounds great, but we have to ask ourselves, is it correct? You know, when I share this, there are some uneasy faces. I hope you feel uneasy, you know, <laughs> because if you don't, then I'm worried. You should feel uneasy, especially when I say there's a sermon that changed Oprah's life. All your alarm bells should go off. What is the gospel? It's got good spell. Okay, a translation from Greek is good news. Good news, good story. There are many good news in this world. Good news to help us save ourselves, whatever salvation means for you. Good news to help us lead better lives, happier lives, wealthier lives. But the question we have to ask is, does it line up with the true good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is what we would like to consider today. From Galatians 1, we'll look at what is the true gospel Secondly, two evidences of the true gospel. What is the true gospel? And then two evidences Paul gives about the true gospel. What is the true gospel? He says, Jesus died for our sins to rescue us from this age. Jesus died for us to rescue us is simple. When we look at the Greek epistles, letters, they always start with a standard praise, thank you. You know, out of 13 of Paul's epistles, 12 of them, have this thanksgiving. Even the church of Corinth, which is probably Paul's most problematic church, he still gave thanks. But when it came to the book of Galatians, there was no thanksgiving. He just went straight to the point because he was serious about this matter. So we got to pay attention as, in, as to the letter's introduction. Actually, every letter, the introduction gives us a hint of what the, the book is about. And it starts like that. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men but through Jesus Christ and God the Father <clears throat> who raised Him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Why was the book of Galatians written? Because there were Jewish people who came to Galatia and told those Christians, 
it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you need to add some more. You need to uphold the law to keep your Sabbath, to perform circumcision. So it is faith plus. Faith plus good works. And so Paul wanted to deal with this. They were saying Paul is not equivalent to the apostles. He didn't see Jesus, right? He only became a Christian after Jesus died. And so right from the beginning, he says, I am an apostle. I met Jesus. I'm sent not by man, but through Jesus. And then the rest of chapter 1, he'll explain why he was sent by Jesus and not by man. Then he goes into the subject matter. He greets the church and he begins. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who is Jesus, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present age. He gives a simple definition of the good news. Jesus died for our sins to save us from this evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. The gospel is simple but not simplistic. According to the will of God the Father, it refers to the whole salvation plan from Genesis to, uh, to the coming of Christ. The unpacking of the gospel story. From the time Adam and Eve fell into sin, God says, I'm going to save the seed of the woman. Then we know it's through this person called Abraham, through a family, through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah. And this Savior, Messiah who comes, will be a sacrificial lamb. This refers to the whole plan of salvation. It didn't just begin in the Gospels and the New Testament when Jesus came. It came all the way from the beginning. So the Gospel is simple. Jesus died for our sins to rescue us, but it is not simplistic. It is free, but it's not cheap. See, the Creator is perfect. He demands perfection from every one of us. One day, we will stand before Him, whether we like it or not. And His demand is, are you perfect? And none of us are perfect. Even if you say, I'm a good person, you know, I don't sin from now on, but what about from when you're born until now? Who pays for that sin? How do we account for that when we stand before a righteous God? And so, He sent His Son, a Saviour, to die in our place. He takes the wrath of God uh, for us. And that is the gospel. So it's free. It's free to us. But it's not cheap because it costs God His Son. So what is this gospel? Once there was this article uh, in the Boston Globe, the newspaper. It was about this unusual uh, party, a banquet. You see, these two persons, they were going to get married. So they went to Hyatt Hotel and uh, rented the big hall ballroom to throw a wedding party. But as the date grew ne nearer, the husband, had, or the groom had cold feet and so he pulled out. So the fiancé was broken, she was angry. She went to Hyatt to get back her deposit. You know, because it cost 13000 they paid 6000 as deposit. And Hyatt essentially said, sorry, the most we can give you is 1000 Or, you can choose to continue your party. We'll try to work it within uh, the 6000 you paid. So guess what she did? She decided to go ahead with the party. But instead of her wedding, she invited the homeless people in the city of Boston. Because 10 years before this, she was also living on the streets. She ran into some difficulties. But she received help and eventually she got back on her feet. So you can imagine, this high-class hotel, waiter and waitresses are all dressed up, serving people who are used to sleeping on the streets. 
were used to eating leftovers. And on the menu, there's a special um, dish called boneless chicken. It was uh, in honor of the bridegroom who ran away. And then these people, right, they were just eating good food, enjoying the wine and dancing into the night. You know, this is a really unusual banquet. But this image reminds me of a parable Jesus told. See, in Luke 14, <clears throat> Jesus says, The slave came back and reported to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slaves, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The slave said to the master, Master, what you commanded has been done. Still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. See, what happened was, this master invited people to his house for a banquet. But when time came, those who were originally invited didn't want to come. There are a lot of excuses. I'm busy, I'm doing this. And so the master says, go invite all the blind, the crippled to come in. Now, who are all these people who were originally invited? Where he says, none of them shall taste my dinner. Who were they? They were the Jews. The Jews had the law, had the covenants, had the patriarchs, had the festivals. But when Messiah came, all these things were pointing to Messiah. When Messiah came, they rejected him. They says, we don't want to come. And so, the invitation went out to the poor, the crippled, the blind. Who are these crippled, poor, and blind? Us, the Gentiles. And so, imagine in the Hyatt Hotel, those people who are eating and enjoying, that's us. We are not worthy to be invited. We are out of place. We don't fit in. But it's by the grace of God that we're invited in. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we're invited to this dinner. And that is the gospel. That we are saved not because we are moral or good or worthy or lovely, but because of what Jesus has done, we respond by faith. Hence, we are not just saved by faith, but the just shall live by faith. The gospel is simple but not simplistic. It's free but not cheap. And so, how should we respond? By loving the gospel. Because it is God's love for us to let the gospel grip our hearts once again and to respond out of love by living the gospel. It's not just hate knowledge, I'm saved, I'm a child of God, but that means I live securely. No matter what happens, I am a child of God. My salvation is finished and nothing can take that away from me. Even my own weakness, even my own struggles. We live the gospel consistently. Not just what we believe, but it changes our lives. We share the gospel because it's good news that we cannot just keep it to ourselves. So what is the gospel? Paul goes on to elaborate. After the introduction, he goes directly to the topic. He says, I am amazed. I am astonished. You so, are so quickly deserting him. Deserting the word means AWOL. Running away from him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is not a gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, means Paul and his friends, 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now Paul is very serious here. Doesn't pull any punches, doesn't mince his words. He says, you share something different, even if it's us, we are to be cursed, anathema, cursed. You know, why was Paul so direct? Why didn't he pull his punches? Once there was this couple who went on a whirlwind tour of Europe. When they finally got to Germany, they called home and the son told them, you know, our cat died. And the mom was very sad. She was in shock. So the father took over the phone and said, son, next time when you tell us bad news, you must tell us earlier to prepare our hearts so that your mother will not be so shocked. So the son asked, how? He says, you see, when we first got to London and called you, you should have told us the cat went on the roof. Then, in Paris, when we called you, you should say the cat fell off the roof. And then in Rome, when we called you, you should have said, the cat is really suffering. So finally, when you tell us the cat died, your mother won't be so shocked. And then the father added, by the way, how's grandma? And there was just silence. And then the boy said, uh, grandma, grandma went up on the roof. You see, Paul didn't do this. He didn't prepare our hearts. He just gave it to them. You are cursed. Why? Because his EQ is low? No. Because of the subject matter, the gospel. It determines the eternal destiny of a soul. You know, sometimes when we share the gospel, we're afraid of how people will look at us. Whether we offend somebody, you know, they'll think we're bigots, we're narrow-minded. But maybe, just maybe, if we realize that the gospel changes the eternal destiny of this soul, this person, then maybe we won't be so worried about offending people. Of course, you don't be offensive because of yourself. If they're offended because of the gospel, it's a different matter. If we see someone walking in sin, be out of love, we're willing to call them out because we're concerned about this person's eternity. What is this gospel? Gospel, I said earlier, is good speed, good spell, good news, good story. Translated from Greek is good news. The New Testament writers use this term from the Roman culture. See, back then when Rome took a city, they will send out this message declaring the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the true saviour, that we will bring Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Meaning, now you're under Rome, you have peace because we will protect you, we will bring you trade and so on. And so when the gospel writers use these similar terms, the euangelion, the gospel, um, saviour, uh, peace, they're saying that true peace isn't the peace of Rome, but the peace of God. The true saviour isn't Caesar Augustus, the son of God. He called himself the son of God, but it is the son of God, Jesus Christ. So, what I'm saying is that there are many good news today, many gospels. Good news to tell us how we should live better, be happier, be healthier, save ourselves. But you know what's the difference between all these gospels and the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a fatal flaw in all these other good news. 
That is, they do not believe you are saved by grace. Everything else, we, there's some amount of self-determination, self-will. I need to do something. I need to do something to better myself, to improve morally. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says we cannot do anything to save ourselves. Nothing is done. We are saved by grace. Of course, subsequently, we say we love people, we do good deeds. It's subsequent to our salvation. And hence, when we look at all these gospels, good news, what are some false gospels we meet today? One of them is simply saying, just be loving, don't talk about doctrines. Because doctrines divide. Just love each other. But you know when we make that statement, that statement itself is a doctrine, right? Don't believe in doctrine means, well, yeah, that's, that's a rule I follow. Don't need religion, just be loving. Don't push our views onto others. Well, when we make this statement, you're pushing your views onto me. Moreover, if we don't have this external revelation of what is love, then what is love? Love is simply a feeling, right, produced by a hormone, some chemical effects. Love is relative. Love has no reality. I mean, can you show me love from a scientific textbook or from the test tube? If I love my child, but every night this guy goes out and kills somebody and eat them up, he loves doing that. I love my child, do I report to the police? I don't because I love him. But then you say I'm wrong. Who are you to judge me if there's no definition of love? Hence, apart from God, we don't know what is love. But it is God that tells us love is based on His character, His unchanging character. Then there's a clear definition of what love is. So it's not just be loving. What is love? Secondly, there are other kind of false gospels. Truths mixed with errors. We call it prosperity theology. God gives us abundant life. The abundant life is now. As long as enough faith, I believe, I get this, I, I become prosperous. I give tithings because I believe God is going to bless me. Often it comes with this word faith movement, which is whatever I declare aloud becomes a reality. Hence, you need to declare with faith. Declare enough faith, God makes it a reality. So you know the sermon I shared at the beginning that changed Oprah Winfrey's life? It was preached by the same person I shared in the pastor's voice. It's one of the biggest church in the world. Every Sunday, they would take out their Bibles and say, we believe the Bible, we love the Bible. And it's wonderful, a wonderful pledge. We should do it, you know, every Sunday. Get us repeat the same thing. But when we look at the messages that's preached, the central tenet is that human beings are not, it's not, the problem of human beings is not our sin nature, but our lack of self-esteem. We believe enough in what is good, we say it out, it becomes a reality. It's a mix of new age thinking, prosperity theology, and some neuro-linguistic stuff. You say enough, you create the neural pathways, it becomes a reality. And I have to say firstly that I do believe in positive thinking. I do believe in visualizing when you're going to face a, a tough customer or an exam or competition. I do believe in saying positive things. But that is not ultimate. It is not that that determines the outcome. It is God. Ultimately, God is sovereign. And so the question for us is, are we able to discern what is right and wrong from the Bible? Okay, don't say about other people. If they believe, that's good. But are you able to discern truth from error? 
Paul tells us that the gospel is Jesus died for our sins to rescue us. And then he gives us two evidences of the true gospel. Right beliefs change lives. He says, for now I'm seeking, am I now seeking the favour of man or of God? Or am I striving to please man? If I'm striving, still trying to please man, I will not become a born servant of Christ. See, what I'm saying may be offensive. You may not like it, but really it doesn't matter because I'm trying to please God, not please man. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. How? Paul only became a Christian after Christ died and resurrected and went up to heaven. While he was on the road to Damascus, Paul was going there to persecute the church, kill them, and then this bright light came on. He fell on the ground, heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Jesus revealed himself to Paul because one of the criteria to be an apostle is that they must have known Jesus personally. That's why right here Paul is saying, I receive it from Jesus himself. I am an apostle. What I'm saying comes from the Lord. And there was this whole rethinking about what he believed. And so when we look at Scripture, you know, we talk about God giving us His Son. We talk about he, through Jesus, we are reconciled to God and we need to reconcile others. It says, Christ crucified for me, I live for Him. Um, because of faith, uh, we are given what from Faith in Jesus Christ, we become descendants of Abraham. We love others just as Christ loved us. There's all these teachings in Scripture. What I'm trying to say is we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say that I believe in Jesus, His teachings are good, but I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe Christ will come again. I don't believe we need to believe in Jesus. You know, honestly, I would like to believe that too. I would like to say, actually, we don't need to believe in Jesus. All of us will be saved. In so doing, all my loved ones who are not Christians will be saved. I want that, but I don't get to choose. I don't get to choose my sexual values to sleep with whoever I want. I don't get to choose, you know, what to believe or what not to because there is a body of right beliefs. When you look at the last 2,000 years, you say, ah, yeah, we have so many doctrinal issues. That's true. But they are really the minority compared to the big body of belief that we all agree on. Which means we look at something, how do we understand this text? Well, look at the last 2,000 years, how the church has understood it. And we get a better understanding of it. So again, I encourage you to attend the church history, you know, to understand how we come to our faith. When we take a long-term view of an issue, we are able to discern it more correctly. And so, there is a body of belief. We don't get to pick and choose when it comes to our faith. It's not just about how we feel. It's about right beliefs. But right beliefs is not just head knowledge. It ought to transform our lives. Someone once said, the longer distance in the world is between our head and our hearts. Many of us know a lot of things. We grew up in church, but the knowledge doesn't transform our lives. It makes not much difference in our values and worldview with those who do not know God. That's why Paul continues to say, <clears throat> for you have heard 
of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He was not exaggerating when he says that, you know, I, I pushed Judaism more than most of my fellow countrymen. Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel, who was a high priest, which means Paul was, had a chance to become the next high priest. But he gave up all this to share the gospel, to die for his faith. He says, for when God, but when God, many times I say this in the Bible, we read this word, but God, it's probably the most comforting word in the Bible. It's always something, something, how terrible, but God. We are dead in sin and trespasses, but God. But God changes everything. We may be hopeless, we may be in sin, we may be weak and struggling, but God, when He intervenes, everything changes. And He says, but God, despite all I've done, but God, who has set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him. Where? Among the Gentiles. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. He hated the Gentiles. Now, it's 180 degrees change. He shared the gospel to the Gentiles and he gave his life for them. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. You see, again, the emphasis, I did not talk to anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. What was he doing in Arabia? We don't know. Probably rethinking his faith, rethinking who God is. Three years in Damascus, he waited. Then I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted, not even best friends with Cephas, which is Peter. So it's just acquaintance. His emphasis is, I didn't get all these things I'm telling you from the apostles. I stayed with him for 15 days. I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went up in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea who is in Christ. They still didn't know who Paul was. He says, They only heard he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy and they were glorifying God because of me. Paul is saying there's a right belief, but there's also transformed lives. You know, back in the church uh, in the US, our children's pastor, when she was about 60 years old, it was time to retire. But instead of retiring, she decided to move to Hong Kong to start a new ministry among the Indonesian domestic helpers. Now, she herself is an Indonesian. So she feels like, you know, when these people leave their countries and their villages, it's a big opportunity for them uh, to come to Christ, know Christ. So she moved there instead of retiring in the US comfortably or traveling the world. She decided to start a new ministry. And amongst these people, you know, there are many stories of life change. And she shared a few with me. One of them, she says, there was these two women who came, you know, um, and they were actually lesbians. You know, they were already married in Indonesia, you know, have their own families. But because many of these domestic helpers, they come together to live together to learn how to cook, how to iron, learn the language. So they live together about six months to a year. If they can't find anybody to hire them, their agents will not let them out. So they're literally like a concentration camp. So she says these ladies living there, 
right? They live together, eat together, cook together, and because they are lonely, many of them be, start to have all these same-sex relationships. She said, oh, of course, I didn't know at first, so I just loved on them, shared the gospel, and without having to be told, eventually the two ladies decided to go their separate ways. Eventually, when they seek out baptism, of course, they confessed to her, and they said, you know, when we just unconsciously as we come, we began to understand God's love for us and we decided to trust Christ. I've never felt so much peace and joy in my life. So every time she's free, although they are free, they will go to the church to help. Not only did they go separate ways, but you know, you know, going back home to their villages, they will face great persecution. But again, they do it willingly. I'm not saying all of us have to be like Paul, have such dramatic changes, or like those ladies. But certainly, when we understand the gospel and the gospel, the reality of the gospel grips us, there must be some change in your life. Certainly, we realize I no longer belong to myself. Whatever decision I make, I, I need to ask this other person. Just like when you get married, there's someone else in your life. When we come to the Lord, we realize I don't own my own life. I cannot be simply thinking about what I want to do in my life, how I want to serve myself, but to ask how does God want me to use my life? And so, the true gospel, Paul tells us, is the right beliefs and there's life change. The gospel is simple, but it is not simplistic. It is free, but it's not cheap. So let us love it, live it, and share it. The key is, do we trust, place our faith squarely on Christ and Christ alone? And this gospel that we share, can it be applicable to all situations when your life is going well, when your life is not going well? When things are smooth and things are not smooth? Or do you have to tweak it? You know, if I preach this gospel to middle-class Singaporeans, Trust God, He will bless you. Of course, we live in Singapore so safe. I went to Pakistan a few weeks ago, you know. You think I can share the same gospel to them? Every day I look at the mirror, I have more bricks, I have more bricks, I have more bricks, and the bricks appear. You know, we are supporting those brick clean work. You cannot. Augustine, probably the most famous theologian in church history, he wrote his, his famous book, The City of God, to explain to the Romans why Rome fell and the Christian faith. Because the Romans were saying, you see these Christians, because you believe in this new God, we are punished by our gods, and de therefore the vandals managed to sack Rome. But Augustine was saying, no, what is this faith about? Why, how do we face suffering? Now the amazing thing is, even before Rome was sacked, Augustine was already saying the same thing. When we believe in Christ, there's suffering. He helps us to face suffering. When Rome was sacked, he didn't have to tweak his gospel. Now, what about us? You know, in 2017, Kosti Hin, the nephew of the famous faith healer, Benny Hin, wrote this article. I don't know if you know Benny Hin, but I think I remember 25 years ago when he came to Singapore. The whole indoor stadium was packed and I went out of curiosity. Okay, and then, of course, he was healing a lot of people and then he was blowing through his mic. He says, blow on this section, the Holy Spirit, and all of us were standing and then the whole section fell, you know. I mean, these were thousands of people. I quickly ran over to that section you know, hoping that I would feel some of this. Okay, but as I said, maybe at the time I was a bit overweight, so nothing happened. <laughs> but for the longest time, I always thought Benny Hinn was a con man. Yeah, I did. 
But uh, of course, now I'm maybe more mature. I sort of tweaked my view about this. But nonetheless, 2017, Kosti Hin wrote this article. He said, 15 years ago, I was standing by the shore of the Aegean Sea in Greece. I was satisfied in my relationship with Christ and my ministry trajectory. After all, we were serving God and living all the luxuries money can buy. We have just travelled on my uncle's private jet to Greece to prepare for the crusade the next day. Our private chef cooked us our meals and he cooked my favourite lasagna. Then we retreated to our own villa. Mine was a 2,000 square feet private ocean-facing villa. I was perched on the, the cliffs across, uh, above the Aegean Sea and I was looking out. I was thinking, this is the abundant life. You know, growing up in the Hin family empire, it is like belonging to a hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Because loyalty was expected and enforced, we led lavished lifestyles, and the gospel was big business. Of course, we preached Christ, but Jesus was more like a magical genie than the king of kings. God's goal was not His glory but our gain. Grace was not about being freed from the power of sin, but gaining more power and wealth. The abundant life we preached was not eternal, but now. This was a prosperity gospel. But I didn't realize 2,000 years ago, on this same body of water, the Apostle Paul sailed back and forth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and that was a problem. It was a different gospel from the gospel we were preaching. You see, as I stood there, I thought about this conversation I had with my dad recently. I have a friend who had cancer. Her hair was falling out. I suggested all of us to go over to her house to pray for her. After all, we have healed tens of thousands of people. But my dad said, let's just pray at home. And I began to wonder why. I didn't doubt our ability to heal. After all, everywhere we went, all the stadiums were packed. We rubbed elbows with the rich and wealthy and we became, became wealthy as a result. But I questioned our motivation. Why is it that we can only heal during these healing rallies? Why is it we can only heal when there's music to create the atmosphere, when people had enough faith and of course, enough tidings? So he began to question and he made the fatal mistake of deciding to study the Bible seriously. It was fatal because he changed his whole view of ministry and his life. Interestingly, two years later, 2019, Benny Hinn himself came out and said, I'm not going to preach the prosperity gospel anymore. I'm going back to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because of age I see things differently. Maybe it's because many people have told me the damage I've caused. And someone asked him, what is the gospel? He said, it's Jesus Christ coming on earth to lead a sinless life. He performed miracles to prove that He's the Son of God. He died and He rose again. Friends, for the last 2,000 years, that is the gospel the church has been preaching. If Jesus left the glories and riches in heaven, how can we be so concerned about our own riches? If Jesus gave His life for us, 
How can we be just concerned about serving ourselves and not serving others? If Jesus came to build the kingdom of God, how can we be so obsessed with building my own kingdom? The gospel is simple, but it's not simplistic. It is free, but it's not cheap. So let us live it, love it, and share it. Let's pray. I'll give each of us some time to respond to a lot in prayer, especially to remember our Christmas concert coming up in December. Let God bring someone to mind that we can pray for and over the next few months, reach out to this person and to invite him or her to the concert. If every one of us invites someone, let's not be afraid to be offensive, but let God work in the person's heart. So I give you this time uh, to pray for this person.